Is it on? Oh, okay. Sorry. Well, good morning, church. How are you? Good. It's a good Sunday, isn't it? Yeah. All right. Hopefully you all uh, received a bulletin and you'll know that the activities at the church are, are pretty consistent this week with our, uh, with our normal schedule. Um, the only other thing that I would add to it, I think, is that uh, I'll be looking for a Sunday school teacher for the kids come, uh, come June and, and July, at least for two months. I want to give Audrey a break, try not to run her into the ground um, while she covers, uh, covers that. Uh, if you want to turn to 1 Timothy 5, 17, 18, and 19, that's where we're going to read from today. And after we, uh, after we do our scripture reading, we'll, uh, we'll pray together, and then we'll sing together. All right? So let's go to uh, 1 Timothy 5, 17, 18, and 19. It says, let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. Blessed be the word, reading of the word of God. Why don't you bow your heads with me? We'll pray, sing, and then have pastor teach. Father, we do um, start our day today coming to you as our Lord and God and Savior. We know that we can come to you because you answer our prayers. You hear us. Your answers are always good for us. Your answers might not always be the answers that we're expecting, but we trust, Lord. We know, we have faith that the way you respond is right for us because you love us. You only want our good. Father, I want to pray now for those who are not with us, who are attending online. They're, they're missing the chance to fellowship, but there, we know there are many reasons why people can't, can't come and be with us each, each Sunday. But we do pray for those who are here. I pray that the, the needs of each will be addressed today through the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand with us, church?
fall like lightning I saw darkness run for cover But the miracle that I just can't get over My name is registered in heaven I believe in signs and wonders I have resurrection power Miracle that I just can't get over. My name is registered in heaven. Yes, my praise belongs to you forever. This is my testimony from death to life. Cause grace rewrote my story. I'll testify by Jesus Christ the righteous. I'm justified. This is my testimony, this is my testimony Come together sons and daughters Bought with blood and washed in water Sing the praises of the Spirit, Son and Father My God We'll finish what he started Yes, our God will finish what he started This is my testimony From death to life His grace rewrote my story I'll testify By Jesus Christ the righteous I'm justified This is my testimony This is my testimony
Well, good morning to you. Children, you guys can go to Children's Church if that's what you do. Um, explorers over here and adventurers are going to go through the back still. And at some point in the near future, that's all probably going to change a little bit because our, our building next door will be finished. And so we'll have a little bit different set of transitions. Uh, but for now, that's what we're going to do. Drop your hat there, man. Yeah. All right. That is a very joyful thing, and I get to watch every Sunday. Y'all get to see the kids get up, but I get to watch all of them get up, and that's a, a wonderful thing that I get to get to see. One of these days, one of y'all, you men will get to get up here and preach, right? And then you get to watch it, right? No? No, most people don't want to do that. It comes with its perks anyway, right? Get to see the kids going on. We're going to talk a little bit about that today. Uh, but I want to mention something that it is next week now that we have our, our baptism service. We're going to have that in the Sunday morning service, so things will look a little different. We're going to have to eject Danny off to one side or the other with the drums, and we'll have this thing gone, a few other things, and we're going to have the, the baptistry set up, and so we'll do that before the message. Um, I mentioned that only because there is still time for that. We had our, our children's baptism class last Sunday. Uh, but if you have not been baptized since you trusted Christ for eternal life um, and would like to be and proclaim uh, that you want to follow Christ in obedience in this life, then that opportunity is available to you. Just call me, text me, email me, contact the office. You know, I have about 14 different ways that are on 24-7 to get a hold of me. Please don't call me at 2 in the morning. You can text me at 2 in the morning, but don't call me at 2 in the morning for that, Okay. Um, but that opportunity is still available. So that'll be this next Sunday. And so our service will look a little bit different uh, at the outset. And, uh, but that's a joyful thing. Um, and don't worry, I have a special two and a half hour sermon schedule. Just kidding. I don't. <laughs> y'all got real worried there all of a sudden. Only a couple of y'all got that joke. It's going to be a celebration, but I'm not going to make you suffer extra, you know. Uh, but here we are. Okay, so let's get to 1 Thessalonians 5. We just have a couple of verses this morning that we're looking at uh, because we, we've been in this section, right? We've been talking about what God's will for our lives is. Uh, and that's, that's an important thing because it is a question that comes up frequently. What is, what is God's will for my life in thus and such a decision or this place? And, and most people don't like my answers when they ask me what is God's will for their lives in certain decisions that they make because so frequently... Um, the answer is not what they have already pre predisposed themselves to hearing. <laughs> um, as, a, as a pastor, frequently, you know, here in El Paso, we get a lot of people in and out of, of El Paso. It happens, either corporate or military moves, those kinds of things. Some people don't have a choice in where they go, but other people do. Um, and so I'll tell them things like, you know, you ought to find a church before you decide where to go. They expect you to tell them, go where you can get the best job. I don't think that that's the best thing. I think you ought to trust the Lord to provide a job for you and go where you can find a church. Y'all think that there are churches everywhere. There aren't churches everywhere that teach God's Word clearly, dispensationally, expositionally. There just flat aren't. I know this because it's been happening for years, uh, that people leave El Paso Bible Church Understandably, that happens, and they call me and say, I can't find a church. And even if they 
move somewhere involuntarily and say, I'm sorry, <laughs> let's do the best we can. But if you have a choice, find a church. People ask me what God's will for their lives is, and the other most common answer is, it doesn't matter. Because they're asking me whether they should buy Oreos or peanut brittle or something silly like that. They're asking me what God's will for their lives is at the grocery store. God's will for your life is what? From 1 Thessalonians. Y'all remember? Sanctification. Sanctification. I want you to be set apart from certain things and set apart unto other things. And a lot of the things that we sweat a lot over, get wound around the axle about in our lives about decisions, don't actually matter. It matters how we enact and how we engage in those decisions. But there are some specifics under this heading. The, these are things that do matter. Can we make that distinction? That's why I went off on that little bit of a tangent there, because there are a lot of things that we sweat a lot about that really don't matter a whole lot. And we need to, it's important that we make that distinction in our lives. Most of the decisions that we are presented in, in the United States of America these days as believers, we can honor the Lord in, whether we choose A or B, a lot of them. But there are some things that we can't do, right? And this section tells us some things. These, these are the things that we're, we don't have an option with. We're supposed to be sanctified either from them or unto them. And somebody asked me last week how I, how I knew, how I knew that the, the doctrine of the pre-tribulational rapture and the teaching about the day of the Lord was one of those things. Because it's very, I told you, it's very popular to say that those things aren't something to divide over. Those aren't things that you're supposed to distinguish about. You should just pat each other on the back and say, oh, well, we're good. We're all pan-millennialists. It'll all pan out in the end. It doesn't matter. Let's just love Jesus. Well, I, let me, un Scripture paints that picture differently. It paints that picture differently. That me loving Jesus, it's very important that if I want to love Jesus in this life, that I live in expectation of the imminent rapture of the church, and that I'm taking the hope and the blessedness out of the blessed hope if I don't do that. And so that's in this section. But somebody said, well, how do you know that's part of the sanctification part? And I do know that. Well, there's some bookends here, actually. So we have back in chapter 4, this is God's will for your life, your sanctification. And in Scripture, frequently, we have these bookends. And I don't always explain how I know what I know. In this case, I hope it makes sense. Back in chapter 4, God's will for your life is sanctification. That's the section there that starts what God's will for our lives is. And then down here in verse 23 of chapter 5 is the other bookend. Do y'all use bookends? Do y'all have books anymore? I have lots of books. I have a lot on the computer. We don't have bookends on my Bible study software, but I do have them in my, on my shelf. And they only work if you have two of them. And there's two of them here in verse 23. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. We have this, the will of God is this, your sanctification. Now may God sanctify you entirely. Bookends that compress this information into a unit. And that's how I know that, God, that Paul is saying that God wants you to be sanctified away from doctrine that doesn't teach the pre-tribulational rapture and the coming day of the Lord, the time of Jacob's trouble, and how you're supposed to embrace that and be sanctified unto that doctrine. That's how I know that. That makes sense? 
Those are, those are structural markers in the text. Um, I really, really try hard not to be, you know, grabbing things out of the air, right? Some people think I still do it because I don't necessarily explain everything all the time. I try to do that. I'm not perfect. Those are the markers that we look at. So from chapter 4, verse 3 to chapter 5, 23, is all under that heading, your sanctification that is God's will for your life, things that we need to be set apart from, in some cases, other people's wives, right? Amen? Yes? We all agree with that, right? It starts from there, but this is just as important. And we need to be sanctified unto those doctrines, so we know that. And we're still in that heading, pre-tribulational rapture, the doctrine that the church is awaiting for the imminent rapture to meet with Christ in the air, and that the day of the Lord is coming, the time of Jacob's trouble when the wrath of God is poured out on the earth. They're not non-essential. They're things that are required for obedience to be sanctified. It's not something that we can float around on or be squishy on. That put confines around our emotive state, right? See, there are people, I had never met a real life, what we call a post-millennialist until the last few years. I thought they died out after a few world wars. Post-millennialists teach that the world is going to steadily get better and better and better and better, and we're going to create the environment that welcomes Christ in to establish His kingdom. How's that working out for you? I I ran into a few. I'm like, I don't get y'all. I don't understand you. Because you'd be crushed in this last century, wouldn't you? If that was your expectation of what was necessary for Christ to come. That's not a blessed hope. That looks like miserable bondage of the mind, the will, and the emotion to me. That's what that looks like. So I can tell you, I mean, yes, that's eschatology, that's the last things, but I can tell you what you think about God, what your theology proper is, the, the, the promises that God makes when I look at what you believe about the end times, how God is going to fulfill His promises to Israel and how He's going to fulfill His promises to the church. And I would say that's a pretty basic doctrinal principle that I should be able to know that God keeps His promises, Right? Even people who say, I just love Jesus, need to know that, right? That's the only doctrine I need. I just need to love Jesus. I don't need theology, as they make all those theological statements. It's important. We really can't do that unless we hold to these doctrines. You know, it's not really, when Paul says, encourage each other with these words. How can I encourage you when I just say to you, You know, some people think that maybe Jesus is going to come back for the church. If I just state it like an opinion like that. That's specifically encouraging to you? A a systematic theology, or actually a historical theology professor told me about one time he met on a college campus somebody who worshipped an acorn named Jesus. Jesus is going to come back for him. But he believed it's an acorn that could get picked up and buried by a squirrel. 
It's on the same level if I just give you an opinion. I can't encourage you with opinions. Are you encouraged by people's opinions? I'm not. They get mad at me when I refuse to be encouraged by their opinion. Anyway, good encouragement comes from believing those things. That, that's extra, actually. That's a review of things that are important, I think. But we're still in that section. Verse 12 is where we are this morning. More encouragement, things that we need to be sanctified in. We're still between the bookends. Uh, that's our main topic. And those are things that you ought to be looking out for as you're reading Scripture, is repeated references that may provide a unit of connection. Right? We're still between those. So verse 12 says this, We request of you, brethren, that you appreciate or recognize, no, get to know, oida, that you recognize those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction or admonishment. We request, right? It's not a command, but it is an apostle making the request. And I tell this to my children all the time uh, still, that you, you need to understand the difference, right, between a polite command and an actual request. Y'all do this, parents? Would you please go do that, son, does not always mean that no is a valid alternative. Am I the only caveman that does that? I was raised in Texas, and in Texas, we're nice and polite. It's a habit. It may be a bad habit. We've talked about nice, right? The problems with nice. It, the definition isn't absolute, not even consistent from one neighborhood to another. So it is a request. I don't want to change it from a but it is an authoritative request from an authoritative source that tells you the absolute objective course of wisdom from an apostle, right? So it's a significant request. We request of you that you do this. Recognize, know, become familiar with, or appreciate, all, all, probably all wrapped into one. We separate those concepts. The word is oida, to know objectively. Uh, to know those among you, recognize them that are, that are toiling that are laboring among you. You should recognize those folks, not just a good American, right, somebody that's working hard and pulling on their own bootstraps and doing good work, but, but specifically those who are toiling and laboring among you in the local church, those who make that particular sacrifice to work hard in the church. It's one of those, those participle things that we talked about, a verbal adjective. It's both the person and the description, all in one package, recognize those who make it their consistent approach, a sacrifice in their labor for the local church. That's their core identity within that context. The ones who are diligently laboring and who have charge over you. Specifically, those, my NASB kind of punted, who give you instruction. The, now, we should appreciate instruction, right? Only a fool doesn't love instruction. The Bible tells us that. The word is not actually teach. There is a specific word for teach and teacher. The word is to admonish, 
Do you know what the word admonish means? That's a churchy word. Do you know what the churchy word means? No, you like those churchy words because they let you get away with stuff, don't they? Admonish means to tell somebody what to do. This is America, Pastor. I don't care. Admonish means to tell you, like he did, an authoritative request. I can't bend your arm. I can't slap you in irons and make you do something, but I can admonish to tell you what the right course of action is. That's, that's a role in the church. And it is diligent, hard labor. It is sacrificial to be able to do that. Do you like telling people what to do? It means you probably shouldn't do it, actually. Some people are addicted to it. That person probably shouldn't do it. If it's something you approach lightly and easily, it's a sacrifice to tell people what they ought to do, especially in a climate where nobody can tell anybody anything, least of all, like, you know, which bathroom to use, that kind of thing. Catch a lot of heat for very, very basic admonitions. Now, who are those people? How are you supposed to know? How are you supposed to know who those people are? Well, that's why he uses a participle instead of a noun. Because when I've heard this passage preached so frequently in my life, and I have heard it preached because I went to churches where they preached the Bible, largely. I mean, that, that was the thing that my family was looking for, different character to it, different places. But... That's what we were looking for. And all of a sudden, the pastor said, you guys, you need to appreciate me because I sacrificially labor among you. Now, some of them did it more than others. Some of them didn't do it at all, but they love this passage. Elders, deacons, whoever, the janitor. I was the janitor. First church job I ever had back in college. I could have preached this passage too. There's a reason for that. He doesn't list an office. Because it doesn't matter what office you hold for this teaching. Now, there should be some overlap, right? First Peter tells us that the elders who rule well, who rule diligently, will be worthy of the crown of life. There should be some overlap. People who hold the biblical offices in the church should labor diligently in them, but it's not limited to that. So how do you know who you're supposed to appreciate in the church? You're supposed to appreciate the ones who are laboring sacrificially and diligently. That's their identity. That's who they are. It's not a discussion about offices. Because y'all know, I mean, y'all know that just because somebody holds an office doesn't mean they're working. Yeah? We won't go there. Not this morning anyway. We can go there over lunch. You know that. They're all over. People that manage to get elected, that are holding an office, that don't do the job, can't do the job, don't have any idea what the job is. And I'm not talking about just the big guy in the big chair. Our local government is full of these people. I don't know. The people who are willing to work hard, who actually know what hard work is, can't get elected. You know what? Because they're not 
looking pretty. They're working hard already. That's the identity, right? So you know that just holding an office doesn't mean that you're working hard and working diligently in an office. Just managing to stay in office is not an accomplishment. Someone's got to work at it in order to warrant the appreciation of those who toil and sacrificially labor. Pastors don't always fit the bill. Missionaries don't always fit the bill. Elders don't always fit the bill. Some of the laziest people I know are in vocational ministry. And they never learned how to work before they got into vocational ministry, and that's their their key problem, I think. They don't recognize work when it comes by. (laughs) Being a pastor doesn't necessarily mean that you know how to work hard. Being an elder, same thing. Being an elder in a church, and we've had some long-term elders at El Paso Bible Church that will not disagree with me here. It is hard work being an elder, especially in a small church, especially if the elder does the work. It's harder if the elder doesn't do the work, actually. It's harder because you make a train wreck out of something that doesn't have to be a train wreck. If they do the work of an elder, they ought to be recognized and appreciated for it by those from, for whom they labor. The nature of an elder's ministry, as I see it in Scripture, though, is one that it's not, a, it's not as quiet as some. There are a lot of ministries in the church that happen behind the scenes. An elder's ministry isn't really supposed to be like that. Because the elders are the ones that have charge over a local church, over the health, over the direction, over the doctrine, all of those things. And unless they're known to the congregation for their hard work in those areas, it's very difficult for them to work, to continue to do the work. Does that make sense? So if somebody says to you, like somebody walks up to you, say you go to the Jesus Chicken place, right? Chick-fil-A. You go to Chick-fil-A. And some dude behind you says, hey… I think you ought to love your wife as Christ loved the church. You're like, dude, I'm just getting chicken nuggets. Back up. Right? You don't know that guy from Adam. You just want to get him out of the way of your waffle fries. But in certain church environments that I've been in, the, guy, the dude behind you at Chick-fil-A is no different than the elder board or some of the elders on the elder board. So you know by definition that they're not doing the work of an elder, much less should they be appreciated for it, because nobody knows who they are. They have to know, because their job is to shepherd the church. Doesn't Jesus say that? My sheep know my voice. They hear my voice. You can't shepherd something. You don't, if you don't smell like them, you don't smell like the sheep, you're not a good shepherd. Not that y'all smell, right? I'm just saying that the familiarity needs to be there. I get an advantage a little bit, right? Because I'm, I'm here 
right? But the elders' ministry is, is actually, it, it, it requires familiarity. It requires that the work be evident. And if eight out of ten people in a church don't know who you are, there's a good likelihood that you haven't been doing the work. It's virtually impossible for an elder who's working hard at the work of an elder to be unknown. When they work hard, they're worthy of appreciation. Steve read that passage out of 1 Timothy this morning. They're worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. Now, so there's some overlap there, right? Again, the office doesn't guarantee the hard work. The office isn't the definition of hard work. Merely staying there doesn't do that. But we have other offices in the church, the deacons, a lot, little different than elders a lot of times, just pragmatically. Um, deacon, being a deacon, hard work. Should be, actually. Elders, are, it's a different kind of hard work. Being a deacon, it's hard work. Right, deacons? It's hard work. I can ask them that because we have rock star deacons at El Paso Bible Church. We really do. We have the deacons that everybody else wants in their local churches. But the nature of it, like Deacon Hall of Fame deacons, right? That's what we have here at El Paso Bible Church, guys, and thank you. We have great deacons. But the nature of a deacon's ministry is often that they show up when no one else does. That's the nature of deacon ministry a lot of times. I pulled up today, and uh, for probably six years, I have hit the same two potholes in the parking lot. Six years, probably longer, because y'all know I've been here twice. They were all done. No more pothole. One small thing. Our deacons do amazing work. Rock stars in the deacon world. They often do the things that no one else does, show up when no one else does very frequently. And every church I've been a part of since I was able to know what a deacon was, has one of the deacons we have. And I'm not, being, I'm not being facetious, I'm not being flamboyant, I'm not overstating that case, no hyperbole. Every church that I've been a part of wants the deacons that we have. But sometimes it's troubling because I'll say, hey, you need to contact the deacons about that. And more than once, people are like, who are they? Oops. 1 Thessalonians 5 says what? We authoritatively request of you that you recognize and appreciate those who toil and labor among you. Now, not all of our deacons are here this morning, but would you guys stand up, please? I didn't tell them I was going to do this. If you're a deacon at El Paso Bible Church, would you stand up? These are not all of your deacons, but some of your deacons, right? All of them. And just so you know, Roger here is the chairman of our deacon board and does the work of 20 men. Glenn here is fairly recent, along with Trey on the, on the deacon board. These are their names. So now when I tell you, go talk to the deacons about that, please, you know who they are. Roger, Glenn, Trey, Keith, 
and Juan back in the back. Those are our rock star deacon hall of fame here at El Paso Bible Church. And so please appreciate them because you don't even… What you see when, when a deacon doesn't work hard is the stuff they didn't do. It's hard to see what they did do necessarily in some cases. But they're working hard and we ought to appreciate them. They're doing the work. There's more than that. Uh, we have in our church some staff positions. Um, things run smoothly largely during the week in spite of the clutteredness of my brain because we have Denise here. I don't know where, Denise is probably working somewhere. I don't know where she went. She's not in here. Yeah, she's working out there. Y'all, make sure that when you talk to Denise, you objectively, positively edify and encourage her because she does, she does so much without complaint here. And she gets complained to a lot, frankly. So make sure that even if you have something you need to request of her, you acknowledge the hard work that she does. Please. Because she's been here for five years, and I hope that we get her for many longer, many longer years than that. You need to recognize that. Women's ministry, um, many, many things that they do. Um, every time we have a potluck, you know why it's not a train wreck? Because we have multiple women that make that work. If it was up to me, y'all wouldn't have silverware. I've told people, I've cooked brisket for 5,000 people before, but if it were up to me, I would forget the forks and the plates. So you'd have brisket as a finger food. Not too good. Better than steak as a finger food, but not a lot better. We do that every month, folks, plus extra special things that we do during the year. We should appreciate those people. The children's teachers, children's church, the people who get up quietly every week with the kids and accompany them to the various rooms to do their children's church, faithful servants working hard every week. You need to recognize that. Not all of those are in office, but they are all working diligently and faithfully, sacrificially in this church. More than just appreciate them, Paul says in this verse, that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Because of their work, not because of who they are in Christ, you should esteem that, but because of their work, the things that they do, we should appreciate the accomplishments that they make. And it's connected to this so that we can I mean, live in peace with one another. There's a reason that follows right after. And this is the nature of things, I think. Um, and that is that a healthy church, whatever size it is, a healthy church maintains a high standard of appreciation for people's work. A healthy church maintains a high standard of appreciation for people's work. Because a healthy church is a lot of work, no matter its size. Small churches actually take more work sometimes than larger ones. 
It's the key to living in peace with one another is being able to recognize and appreciate the work that's going on in our midst, in our local body, and acknowledging that, recognizing it. And people think I'm a pessimist when I say things like, most churches are not healthy in that regard. Most churches are not healthy in that regard. Now, why is that the case? Variety of reasons. Variety of reasons. But a lot of it comes down, in my experience, to leadership, actually. That shouldn't surprise anybody, right? Kind of help define a culture in a church. And a lot of times the culpability for that climate does fall on the spiritual leadership, the pastors and the elders in a church. In our tradition, Bible churches don't like to say they have a tradition, but we do have one. We've been around a while. You get traditions involved. They're not big T, little T. If you're confused by that, come and ask me. We have things that we do that are characteristic of our context. And so what we do, um, instead of fostering a climate of appreciation and this has to do with, with some overarching problems with what we used to call seeker sensitivity. Uh, we try to be an ear to everyone, no matter what they're saying. You see a problem there? We try to be an ear because we're told that we have to make everybody feel welcome and everybody needs to be heard. And we foster a climate in which appreciation is denigrated by doing that. We try to spiritualize fostering a climate of complaint. And this is how we, one of the ways that we do it. We tell people, <clears throat> you've heard this, I'm sure. If you have a complaint, if you have a complaint, you need to go talk to the person and not just gossip. Now, that's partly correct. Should you gossip? No, you shouldn't go complain about somebody to a third person. That's gossip. You shouldn't do that. Gossip is a sin. Gossip needs to stop. We all agree with that. But we need to go further than that, guys. Because we need more admonishment in that statement. Most complaints just need to stop cold. Most of them. So when we don't tell people that, we're fostering a context of complaint. We need to tell people, if you have a legitimate biblical complaint with a person, then you need to take it to the person. But 99% of the complaints that happen in any church are garbage and are just hurt feelings. And that Some people call me Pastor Suck It Up because when I tell you that, I tell you, you need to suck it up. Forgive, love, live in peace with one another. Appreciate the work that is being done even if you don't really like certain aspects of the person. Appreciate people. 
Because most of the complaints that take place in any church, and I'm not talking about El Paso Bible Church. You guys, you guys are really great. We're great. We're great. Is that better? It's not us and they. We're great. I was only wrong the one time, y'all remember, so I think we're pretty great. But the way the Lord is working, we need constant vigilance in these things. So instead of complaint, we need to appreciate. We, we've talked about it, right? The one who complains the most is usually working the least. And that's not just church, right? Y'all work in offices and businesses. Uh, that, that's universal. That's a universal human condition. If you're complaining, you're probably not working. But it certainly includes church. And, but when I bump into somebody who is familiar with a church climate of complaint, and this, this happens sometimes. Over the years, it happens quite a lot. We have interactions or whatever. I, I go places and I meet people uh, in other climates. And frankly, I'll tell you this, when I come back from those things, I go, thank the Lord for El Paso Bible Church. I do. I'm not lying. We're pretty great. We want to stay that way. When I bump into it, though, I cringe. because I can feel it. <laughs> When people find out I'm a pastor and they feel that my main responsibility is to listen to any and all of their complaints. Whatever they want to complain about, that's what I'm there for. You're going to have a hard time finding that in the elder qualification list, folks. It's very common. And I ought to confess something to you. Scripture says to confess our sins one to another. So I ought to confess a sin to you that affected me for a long time. And I'm liable to do again. Are y'all perfect? I'm not perfect. And that is that for many years, even as a pastor, I suffered from a particular sin as a pastor. And that particular sin is what Scripture calls being a human pleaser. Maybe y'all suffer from that too. You want people to be happy. You think that you can please them out of complaining. Y'all ever tried that? Y'all ever tried that for 100 people? 300 people in one of the churches I was on staff at? The Bible calls that a sin. Not only is it a sin, it's stupid. You can't do it. <laughs> There's a reason Scripture says don't. Being a, a men pleaser. The problem with that particular sin is that it makes a pastor feel like he has to listen to every stupid, vacuous complaint that comes his direction in order to make somebody happy. Any day of the week, and all he's supposed to do is pray about it and have an understanding grin on his face. The Bible calls that a sin. Not just for me, but it certainly affects me as much as anybody. But I want to tell you this morning, you can praise Jesus with me. And I mean this. I want you to praise Jesus with me because to a large extent I've been given victory over that particular sin in my life. 
And y'all can chuckle if you want, but it's tremendously freeing for me. If Jesus asks me to admonish you, I don't care if you're happy when I get done. And I hope that's why you're here. If not, I guess we won't, I mean, sorry. I've preached to five people in a living room before, and I can do it again, I guess. But I hope that's why you're here. I don't want you here, and you don't have to be here because you like me, by the way. <laughs> that's irrelevant. I hope that you do, because I, I try to be a likable person overall, but I'm done being a human pleaser. And I hope that's what you like about me. Because that is the Holy Spirit working in my life, I believe. It's a victory over a sin in my life in ministry. So praise Jesus with me. I may not have absolute victory over it, but I have tremendous freedom that I didn't have for many years. And y'all can chuckle about it, and you probably will again. My sons one time said, John, Dad, you're so decisive. I was like, son, I wasn't like that all my whole life. Wasn't like that. You know how I became decisive in my life? Suffering from being indecisive. Being stupid. Foolish. Unwise. Unbiblical. Same sort of thing. Some of y'all haven't known me long enough to know that about me. I've been preaching in churches since 2003. Do you know how much pressure that is to make people smile? Do you know how freeing it is for me not to give two flips if you smile when I get done admonishing you? <laughs> Tremendous. Y'all are smiling at that. Y'all think it's funny. Just wait. One day it'll come back at you. It's okay. But see, y'all make it easy most of the time. As I said, we're pretty great. We're pretty great. Most of, we have, and I've mentioned this before, we have a very high rate of service in El Paso Bible Church. I don't care how many pew seats are warm. I think I've told you that. I care how many warm pew seats are working for the Lord in the local church. That's all I care about. That tends to put more rear ends in the seats overall. But y'all make it easy that way. Because when somebody says, I have a complaint about that person, I'm like, have you stopped for a minute? Because that person is working their tail off in this ministry, in that ministry. And they've been doing it for years. And I don't think that that complaint is viable. And unless it's biblical and objective, you've got no business making it anyway. Zero. Well, that's my pastoral policy. I receive zero complaints about hurt feelings. Zero. That okay? I'm going to do it anyway. Because that's not biblical complaint. That's not the nature of biblical complaint. If someone says, that person hurt my feelings, I'm going to say, you need to get your emotions under control. I know that because that's what happens to me when I get my feelings hurt. I have to self-admonish. Nobody does that for me, by the way. 
They don't say, get yourself under control, Josh. I have to go, the Bible says I need to get my feelings under control right now. Y'all can do that for me, by the way, if you catch me at it, but it'll be hard. I can nearly always cut off a complainer at El Paso Bible Church. And I can nearly always tell them, you need to appreciate that person's hard work and toil for this local church. Because so many of you work so hard for this local church. And I thank you for that. I really do try to do that. But we all need to adopt that practice. So that means a couple things. It means that we need to know each other and how we're ministering. So y'all met the deacons earlier, right? No excuses. You need to know who the people are who are laboring sacrificially in the local church, who are doing that hard work and admonishing people, serving people, and laboring tirelessly. You need to know who those people are so that you can express your appreciation for them. And you can encourage other people to do that. Right? Let's keep making it easy. Right? I want to encourage you that so many of you work so hard, and I appreciate that. It makes it easy to do what I just said to do. So let's keep it easy on both fronts. Okay? All right. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this admonishment. We thank you uh, that it's easy, relatively speaking, at El Paso Bible Church to recognize and appreciate those who work so tirelessly because so many at El Paso Bible Church do. We thank you for that blessing and that giftedness that you've given to this local church. We thank you for those who are doing that, and we appreciate and recognize them this morning. It's your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with us? We'll dismiss with a song. Sunday.